0: I like to say all the time, I got heaven in my view. But one time, one time this week, heaven was sort of cloudy in my view. And I had to make a, what you call back on the you know, you just, remember they used to have those shows and you had to make a, what they you had to have make that call. What you call it? a um, Lifeline. Thank you. Thank you. I had to call it a lifeline. I had to call one of the brothers in the church and said, man, my mind is messed up, man. I mean, it's so messed up. I'm not sure if I can do it. But the brother had heaven in his mind. He had heaven in his thoughts. He had heaven in his existence. So he was able to handle me. And I thought I had him going this way, but he brought me back that way. And I thought I had him going this way, and he brought me back this way. And Andre, I thought I had him with this one. I said, if I had a machine, and I put the money in it, and it don't give me what I want, then it must not be for me. I thought I had him, but you know what he said? He said, but the only thing about that, if I invested my money, I'm going to get my money. I'm going to get my stuff. And I think that's the thing I missed at the time, is that God is saying that he has his investment in us. And whatever he takes, he's coming to get us. Because heaven in his view is us giving back to God everything he already has given us, returning to him. So today I celebrate that song, like Paul said, after. What happened after? He said that his car tire went down after he dropped off his daughter. I didn't have heaven in my view before today, but after I got heaven in my view. So I can celebrate with the lady today that heaven is truly in my view. Well, obviously, I'm not Pastor Myron Etnis. A little taller, a little wider, a little broader, a lot of other things. And neither do I want to be Myron Atmos. I'm James Whitehead. That being said, we're going to enter this word. Uh, we have some text on the screen. Uh, they have the text in the back. If we can put the text up, we're coming from uh, John. We're going to have two texts. We're going to try to merge these two and see can we find a dual view of what God is doing and what type of people God is looking for and what type of people are not looking for God. The verses we're going to come from, uh, if, we have this, if my media team can put that up, sound like Myron, my media team. Matthew, I mean John chapter 5, verse 39. There you go. Five, okay, there you go. There you go. There we go. John 5, 39. If y'all can read this with me, we're going to read this one in the second text, and then we're going to expound on them a little bit, and then we're going to give a an analogy, and we're going to get into this thing. Can y'all read that with me? You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. One more, one more scripture. Can we go to forty-one? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they, uh, no, that's it. That's it. It should be yeah, forty-one. Let's go forty-one. Can we get forty-one too, please? I do not accept glory from human beings. And the second part, there you go. This is it. But I know you, and I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Let's put up the second verse. uh, Matthew chapter 11. Verse 26, 28. Can you read this with me? Come unto me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The title of the message today is Get Up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're so merciful to us today. That as we get into this message, the thing that you have taught us, everyone here, that we can get up. If we didn't know we could get up, God, we wouldn't be here today. Our faces don't look like our struggle. Our life don't look like our blessings. But one thing's certain, our soul truly is grateful for what you have done. So, God, today as we enter into your word, we pray that you will expand our minds, blow us up that we may see your goodness. And ultimately, God, give us that word that would keep us in the struggle in spite of the difficulty. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I wanna begin this thing with an analogy. You know, sports have changed tremendously. You got sports announcers. We have sports announcers, you have two types. You got the ones that come straight from the grid arm when they retire and go right into the booth. Then you got sports casters that come directly from journalism school and go right into the booth after they had some successes, have they, after they had acquired some knowledge, they go right into the booth. And once in the booth, they try to build a chemistry between these two. Um, the, the, the sportscaster, of course, he tells the play-by-play. He talks about the things that's going on within the camera. He tells you uh, the time and place if it's a football game. He tells you uh, if it was a first down. He tells you what's the next down. He tells you if it was a penalty. He tells you all the nuances of the game. He manages the, the timeouts. He manages The revenue that's created, he does all things because he's been trained to do it. He's skilled at doing it. On the other hand, you have the the other sportscaster who is not a play-by-play. They call him a color guy. This guy don't talk about every play. He don't have something to say about everything. But when he do speak, he speak about what happened when you was in the game. He talk about stuff that happened that you could not know by watching the camera. He tell you how people feeling in the game. He telling you about the strategy behind the game. He's telling you about the stuff that are the key points that people think about prior to the snap. Now you hear him say something like, uh, "I don't know." They'll say something like, "Well, you know, one thing about being a player, you have to keep your mind focused on the objective." the the, the, the announcer can't do that, but the color guy can do it because he was on the field, but now he's in the booth. And the listeners or the the people who subscribe to this particular channel, they're able to get a full picture of exactly what it costs for it to be a player and what's being experienced on the field. Jesus is doing the same thing here with these two scriptures. Keep that in mind. The the correlation of commentator, as far as a play-by-play, and the Sportscaster that came from the field to the booth. Let's go right into this thing. Let's go. Let's let's start out with the, the John I mean that uh, that Matthew I mean that John verse John chapter five verse thirty nine. It says you study the scriptures diligently because you think that that in them you have eternal life. Now we know very clearly. Timothy says study. We search the scriptures. He says study to show yourself approved. Obviously, this person has studied because Jesus said you search the scriptures. And in them, you think that you have eternal life. This person has went through the good Jewish thing and became well acquainted with knowledge. They have gotten the skill of knowing how to express themselves. They have gotten the accumulated information necessary to walk like a holy Jew. This person has entered into a, a rare realm because some people tried to do it and they just didn't make it. This person, Jesus, giving them credit You search the scriptures in them. You think you have life. The second portion of that, he said, you think you got something. This person has come to a point that he believes that he can determine the fate of something because of his information. His information has led him to believe that no longer is it necessary to just have information. He can actually make determinations. And based on this guy believing he can make determination, he stands strong and comfortable in his information pool. But Jesus continued with that scripture. And then he says something that take a turn. He said, because of that, you think you have eternal life. Clearly, Jesus says you think you have it based on your knowledge. Your knowledge has led you to think you have something that Jesus is about to confront. You think you have eternal life. So in other words, they're operating here on earth, but in reality, their mind is in heaven at a different fear. They're not living it now. They're living at a different time because they have acquired some knowledge. They have acquired some information. And this information has set them aside, other people. Thus, they don't walk in the same atmosphere as you. I was telling some people today that I used to like watching the Flintstones. Do y'all remember Slept Rock? Slept Rock. When he showed up, you remember say, oh, woe is he said, Oh, woezy, he, me. Something will fall out the sky. The lights will fall. And as he walked around, Shutrock always had something on top of his head. Anybody ever remember that? He had some rain, a cloud. Shutrock had the cloud even when it was sunny outside. Shutrock had this, this particular thing following him even when nothing else was around. Because Shutrock carried this because that's what he had on the inside. And because he had it on the inside, it exposed itself on the outside. Yeah. And Jesus is going after schlep rocks in this particular verse. He said, I'm going after people that have learned the stuff I have taught. Yeah. But what they have concluded is that they have their own atmosphere. And their atmosphere is the atmosphere of eternity. But in reality, I got something against them. And look what he says. He went on to say, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. The stuff that they learned that they thought they can conclude on was really supposed to be referring to Jesus. But they didn't refer it to Jesus. They referred it to their own personal, their own personal, their own personal kingdom that they were establishing here right on earth. But Jesus says one more thing after that. And I say, OK. That's interesting. Jesus, I get this. I see where you're going with this thing. But the last part blew me away. He said this. Yet you refuse to come to me. To have life. Life was within their grasp. They didn't take it because they liked the life they had of themselves. Life was within their grasp, but the life that they were given off and the stuff they were given off themselves, they ate their own fruit opposed to the fruit that Jesus wanted to offer them. This being said, I was like, God, why are you showing me this? I mean, this ain't no side of stuff to teach. What are you giving me this for? And he said, "Just work with me." I said, "Okay, I'll work with you, God." Let's go to let's go to let's go that other verse, uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to thirty. Lord, 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 Lord. We have another class of people. Can you put that on the screen, please? Uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to thirty. The verse starts out, "Come unto me, all thee that labor." The first word, "Come." Lord, Lord. You know, if somebody tells you to come. What are they asking you to do? Yeah. Leave where you at. So they're saying that you can exercise your will to do something that you're currently not doing. Come, leave from where you are and come to me. And then he said something else. Come unto me all the labor and heavy laden. He didn't want everybody. This word ain't for everybody. He said, i was looking for a certain person to come and they got to have two things. They have to have labor and they got to be burdened. They got to be labor and they have to be burdened. Don't that sound like? a football player that has reached the end of his career and he went up into the booth, he can't play the game no more, but he can't talk about it. He could talk about it. So this guy, if we were to sort of try to parallel that, and we'll get more into this thing, this guy that went into the booth, he can't go down there and play the game, but he can't talk about the game. This guy is a guy that had burdens that prevented him from carrying on, but he had the wisdom to come off the field and go to the booth. That being said, he said, come unto me, all this heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then look what the last part said. Ah, here, let me see here. There you go. Come to me, all you have weary and burden, and I will give you rest. What is the one thing somebody wants that's been carrying a lot of weight? What was, what, was, what was the, most people talk about Samson, and you know, they talk about his strength. But if you remember, it's one thing that Delilah did for him. What did he do when he was next to Delilah? He rested. He slept. Oftentimes we think about the other aspects, but whatever she did, she allowed the brother's soul to rest. Because he was burdened. Whatever the burden was, he had the burden of carrying the reality of what Israel should become against these Philistines. And what he wanted more than anything was rest. Have you been there before? Have you been there? Well, you've been carrying around the reality of the battle, like the sportscaster, and you feel like you can't do it no more, but all you can do is talk about it. And the question is, who are you talking about it to? Are we talking to God or are we talking to people that can maybe take away our strength? In this case, Delilah. Who are you talking to? So following this thought, we're not here yet, but we're trying to get there. It said, come on to me, Arnold. And, he said, I would, and then notice the NAS part. It said, and I will give you rest. You know, Jesus' whole ministry, you never heard him say, I'm the son of God. He never said it specifically. He, allayed, he, he pretty much led you there. But he said, you know, Pilate said, just tell me, you don't want what what am going to do? He said, so you say. He never gave him a clean answer. But in this particular case, Jesus went outside of his norm. He said, come to me, those who are weary and burdened, and I'm personally going to give you rest. Have you been in one of those scenarios where you met Jesus on a road of your own burden-laden, like me this week, Thursday, like me Thursday, and you made your lifeline, And Jesus came out personally and said, son, your problem is you need rest. And I'm not going to send you to someone else. What I'm going to send you to is to myself. I'm going to draw you to my side. And, and, I, and I think about this verse in regards to what I'm thinking about in the sermon or what I'm trying to communicate with you. But the truth is, I think about my own personal life from the beginning of my, great, my, beginning of my life. My life always been a fight. That's all I know to do is fight. You can wake me up at night and I'm fighting because that's what, that's what I know. That's my life. Like, like my Marine back there, he's a fighter. That's what they trained him to do. I'm a fighter. So if you ask me to be gentle and I'm a fighter, I might not know how to do that as well. Might not know how to do that as well. But at the same time, God said he's going to give me rest. If he give me rest, how is he going to give me rest? And all I know how to do is fight. How he's going to give me rest? All I know how to do is fight. And then let's go to the next verse here. First verse. And then he says this. Take my yoke upon you. Why would you give me a yoke and I'm already fighting with the yoke I have? <laughs> Why would you give me a yoke and I'm already fighting? So somewhere in between there where I say I can't go farther, God said you can't go farther, you just got to change your load. Yeah. You got to change the load you have. You got to change your load. And we know that yoke, when they had a the yoke and Oxen, they would have the, the older one on one side and the younger one on the other side, and they would put a bar in between them. And that bar would keep the young one from going outside of his range. Yeah. You keep them close when you want a buck. So, like what the what what? Okay, Fred Bozeman did this week for me. He he kept me within the traces of where i was supposed to go. That's what yoke does for you. So when you talk about get up, get up, get up is a matter of us getting back in the race when we decide we no longer want to run. Get up when you don't want to run. You know, I mean, I'm amazed sometimes, and and I appreciate those who are are well-learned and and well-studied. I love them, love them. They give me valuable information, but sometimes they can't give me what I need to run the next mile. I mean, I like information, but I like to run the race, too. I I like to grow, but I like to live, too. I like that. And I I was reading this journal, and it was talking about, uh, actually, it was a medical journal talking about doctors and it was talking specific about this guy that was giving something for research. And as he was implementing it, he was saying that I love giving information for research. And I was reading, I said, man, that's fascinating. I guess that's a good thing. But then he said that I really don't like writing in regular publications. I don't want to write to the regular public. I want to write in the publication. And I said, man, that's odd. Why is that? And then I did a little more reading, and I found out that when you write in the medical journey, you stay within the theory. But when you come out here and write to me and you, you got to make it practical. Don't, 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 don't! don't, I'm, I'm trying to suggest Jesus is saying, stay away from those who have got so high, all they know is my theory, and come close to those who know my heart. Come close to the ones that come down from the grid arm. That went through the experience that can tell you about what it takes to get there. Come close to them. Because those are the ones that hold the treasure in their body that makes them continue even when they struggle. They teach you how to struggle going forward. I used to like Jack Morris when he used to say, "Uh, there's nothing wrong with falling as long as you fall fall forward. Fall forward. Fall forward into the hands of a waiting savior. And I think we all saw uh, maybe about maybe about seven years ago, now seven, eight years ago, when the runner that was running that race, I think he was a uh, I forget his nationality, but when he was running the race, he messed around and got a pulled hamstring and when he pulled his hamstring, he was trying to continue to run and and because he was hurting his leg, you know the the, the people who were paid to keep the yards and to keep up the arena, they saw him and. They just knew this was the right time to come in and grab the guy. So they grabbed him, and he fought him off. He said, no, he just kept on running. And nobody else thought to help him. And then all of a sudden, you saw a little fat, stubby guy with a hat on come out of nowhere. Yeah. That's who he was. He came out of nowhere, and he grabbed him. And when he grabbed him, he got to run alongside of him. So he was limping and running and limping and running. Kind of find out it was his father. His father didn't say run. His father helped him run. God said the gridiron people help you run. They don't tell you to run. They help you run. And the reality of getting up is the fact that God said the reason why you get up, because now you're running, leaning on me. That's where you run now. Yeah, we celebrate that. We celebrate that today. Don't Don't we all marvel at the picture when we see the guy walking along the sand and we look at him, he said, God, where were you? Where were you in my tough times? God, where were you in this? I only see one set of footprint. And if he says he see one set of footprint, that means it was a time he saw two, but the times he needed, he only saw one. And God says simply, son, I carried you. I carried you the time you couldn't walk yourself. Mm. I carried you. I carried you. I carried you. You you know, I'm so amazed. Sometimes when things happen and someone brings to my attention, I'm like, I did that? I, did that? No, I, I did that? No, I couldn't have did that. No, I couldn't do that. You remember, the, remember I'm So Cleveland was out? People was putting everything, I'm So Cleveland, and I'm this, and you know, we're celebrating LeBron James, and we had the resurgence of the Cleveland pride. A guy put on Facebook, he said, I'm So Cleveland, I remember when this guy named Itchy Dave, he said, I remember when he used to knock people out, and James Whitehead used to slam guys with no brakes on them. The guy said that, and I'm saying, I looked, and I, you know, I was like, okay. I was like, that's not me. So I picked my phone up, and I called my boy named Spank. I said, yo, what's up, man? He said, no, I said, man, look, man, this guy put this out here, man. What? This stuff ain't true, is it? He said, yeah, Whitehead, that's you. No, I said, no, nah, man, that guy lying, too. So I called somebody else. <laughs> picked the phone up, and I called him. I said, look, man. I'm like, he put this out here, this, that, another other, man, that's not true, is it? He said, yeah, man, that's you, man. That's you for real. That's you, man. And, and, and what it dawned on me is that, you know what? God, how did I survive where I came from? And now I'm learning that he carried me. But now I'm learning that he said I'm not carrying you as much. Now you got to walk. Now you got <laughs> to walk. So now when you call Fred and tell him I need a lifeline, now you got to get out there and fight. Because I gave you the love now I want you to put in the work. How many people hear that God is working on you and he's making you get back out there and do what you don't want to do? He's forcing you to go out there and apply yourself again. I I remember my wife. I mean, she's my best supporter in everything. I didn't want to go to school. man. I don't like all that stuff. I said, man, this ain't what I do. And man, I'm way off my thing, but whatever. I mean, I said, this ain't what I do. And so she convinced me to go and I went. And so I went for a little while, and then I cut out because of some things. And she said, "Well, you need to get back in school." And I said, "Really? I don't want to go." And then the guy that I played this video game with—he got a job at the university. He said, "Man, you'll love this." Not to, oh man, now I got two of them. <laughs> got two of, two people in my ear. And then as he kept talking, I said, "Okay, you know what? I'm gonna sign up." I went and signed up, and I went out there and I started doing it. I tell you, I, I don't know who this for. I used to write paragraph. I used to write a sentence that was a paragraph. Centers supposed to have 12, 12, 12 words or whatever. I used to try to put so much in it. It was this long. And the teacher used to, man, uh, Dr. Fallon, that was her name. She told me, she said, I see what you're trying to say, but it's, it's hid in there. Man, I knew how, I know how, uh, I knew how to bl- butcher a center. If I put that stuff up there, you'll be amazed at some of the stuff I had. But I kept on coming. I kept on coming. You know, we kept going. We worked on it. We worked on it. My wife kept encouraging me to keep on going. I said, okay, we can to do this. We kept going. And make a long story, I finished. Make a long story clear. But this is what I did. I went back and got all the papers that I had submitted through the OLS. I'm looking at my I looked at those papers, and I saw the reality of what I was, and I was discouraging myself looking through it. But as I kept coming, I started getting encouraged. I started getting encouraged. I started getting encouraged, and I started getting encouraged. And what it taught me, was God says that's what I do to you all the time. I take you with your jumbled sentences, and I shrink them. I take you with your swollen, bad vernacular, and I begin to do a work on you. And before you know it, people won't know unless you tell them. And what is the very thing we don't want to do to people? We don't want to tell them we come from where they come from. Because <laughs> if, if I tell you, then all of a sudden then, that means I have to be on your level. And guess where I don't want to be? I don't want to be where well yet. Like the young man came to, like the little young man today, uh, I forget her name, her son, uh, what's your, uh, yes, Eric. He came to me today and he said, tomorrow's my birthday. I said, oh yeah? And I said, his sister said, my birthday was last week. I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, I'll tell you what, young man. I'm, I'm going to give you a dollar. He said, I want two. <laughs> I, I said, OK. I said, OK. And I said, OK. I said, OK. OK. We can work with that. And then the, the other one said, well, it's my birthday, too. And I gave the young man $2. She said, it's my birthday, too. And I asked her mother, could you have it? She said, yes. And then I went and I saw the little girl say, no, but it's my birthday, too. And I thought about my girls. I said, well, let me take those $2 back and give them 5 <laughs> Give them two fifty dollars because I could not lead a little girl out. That's right. But the reason why I gave a little boy the money because I remember that was me. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. That was me. Yes, sir. I mean, my mom did the best she could and she did wonders, but at the same time, it didn't replace me not having a father. Right. Right. It didn't replace me not having other things. As a result, I went lacking, but at the same time I was willing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I'm trying to say to somebody, yo, we lack, every, everybody lack. But the question is, are you willing after you realize you lack? Are you willing? Let's not let our lack stop us from proceeding. Let our lack know that we need to work that much harder. That's the, that's the thing. So what, what this is saying when we said that heavy laden, I'll tell you, we're way off. What, 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 when it's all about heavy laden and burden, what he's talking about is those who carry the burden of what they have and God says that I can take that and you'll find rest in me. Now change your yoke and deal with the stuff you come from. That's, that's my turn. That's my turn. All right. I got to get to this main thing. Let's just jump. We're going to do a little jump here. Let's jump over to back of the Matthew, John, chapter five, John, chapter five, verse one, John, chapter five. So we have a parallel out there. We have those who learned and those who come from the grid aren't those from the grid aren't learn from experience how to work through what they go through. Those who went through the, the school system understand the journalist approach and they have been learned and taught how to work this thing. So you have these two people. You have one that won't come to Jesus because he, he he wants them to him to be humble and be some things that they don't want to be. And the other one come because they have no other choice and they receive Jesus. And then we have this one right here. Let's go to John chapter five, the pool of Bethesda. Let's go to the pool. It says in verse one, we're going to tie this up quick. we ain't going to be here all day. It said, verse one. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there's a Jew there in Jerusalem near the sheep gate and pool, which is air is called Bethesda. And we know that this pool was near Jerusalem, but it wasn't in Jerusalem. The pool Bethesda, as we're going to learn, was a pool that had uh, allegedly, special secrets and powers in it that people thought they had supernatural power and that each time, each time in the year, the water would be disturbed and people would be laying out on the porch and they'll try to run and get in the pool. They had accepted that so much part of their culture. What they did was they had, they had uh, like a, a patio out there where you, would, you, would, you could be secure from all the rain and the different conditions people would have it. People would come in the day and then people also would come at night. Because they wanted to be there when the water was trickling. When the water was stirring, they wanted to be the first one to get in. This pool, Bethesda, was near Jerusalem, but it wasn't in Jerusalem. Bethesda is near Jerusalem, but it's not in Jerusalem. The first thing we need to know, Jerusalem was where God was. That was the city of God. But it wasn't in the city of God, but it was near the city of God. Bethesda is that place where we go that's close to God, but it's not God's power doing it. It's close to God, but it's not God's power doing it. Bethesda is that place where we're going to learn in a minute that this man sat for 38 long years. Now, first thing, let's let's be real. At the life expectancy then was, what, 50? He said that maybe, and and I'm stretching it. I'm stretching it. I'm stretching it. But the guy sat there 38 long years. Catch this. He sat there 38 long years, which is beyond the almost beyond the more than half the life expectancy of the people that lived. And they said only three type of group of people sat there. They said it was blind. Y'all can read it yourself in a second. Now you can read it. I'm just going to uh, summarize it. It was blind. It was paralyzed. And it was people who was uh, lame. Who was there? Pa- did it blind. Blind, paralyzed, and lame. Do people make themselves lame? Do people make themselves paralyzed? Do people make themselves blind? People make themselves blind far as to receiving truth. But people don't make themselves physically blind. The point I'm making is this. These are all things that they couldn't control. That was natural. At the time, it was natural. They had nothing to do with it. So I'm looking at the and God, what is you trying to get me to see? What he's trying to teach us today is the fact that the people who sit at Bethesda are normally people who can't help themselves. It's people that won't heal him because they're willing to put the time in. But at the same time, they're at the wrong spot looking for healing. Wrong spot. I was trying to understand what he was trying to tell me with that. And he's trying to get us to see the reason why people aren't being healed when they talk to us because we're the wrong spot. We're the wrong spot. The wrong spot because what we're doing is trying to fix them. Opposed to send them to the fixer. We have to quit thinking we can fix folk. Can't can't fix folk. That's why the Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit's job is to bring you into all truth. Simply put. And the truth is, if I really bring you the truth I brought you into, you'll be like I was Thursday, all confused, and, and, and your phone will be ringing in the midst of the message. And, and that being said, that's the difference. The difference is, we don't have nothing to bring people into. So why do we make people so endeared to us that when they need a Savior, they're looking for you? This guy was looking for something, and for 38 long years, and I was trying to understand this, because it said he was there 38 long years. I don't know how he paid for that. I don't know about the provisions, and I don't know how that worked. But I was trying to understand how that worked, that every time he got up, that he moved towards the water, somebody would beat him, because he told Jesus that. And I was trying to think about that, and, I, and, it, and it dawned on me. Anybody been out on Black, on Black Thursday, Black Friday, Thanksgiving? You been out on Black Thursday? And, and, and I said, man, I, I need to, I, I'm need i going to read this just as a read. And this is what it says. Look at this. It says, uh, this is New York, New York Daily Times in 2008. It said, roughly 2,000 people gathered outside the Walmart doors in a pre-dawn darkness. Chatting pushed the doors in. The crowd pressed against the glass as the clock ticked down to the 5 a.m. opening. Sensing catastro- uh, cat- seeking catastrophic conditions, nervous employee formed a human chain inside the entrance to slow down the mess, the mass of shoppers. It did not work. The mob barreled in and overwhelmed the workers. When the madness ended, a 34-year-old female shopper was dead, and four shoppers, including a woman eight months pregnant, was injured. So I was trying to think about that. Now, we know modern times. And you've been there. My wife got me out there one time, and I, I, she can do that midnight stuff by herself. But, you know, you know they'd be there, and I, I can imagine they pushing on that thing and pushing on that door and pushing. And finally, they get it open, and people trying to stop them. They run them over, and finally, just to get the item or merchandise that they're not going to play with in two months. And I was thinking about that, and I said, that's what happened to that guy. When he was there at the water, he was moving, he was was paralyzed, he had his bed. Can you imagine that guy scooting, him in his bed, trying to get over to the water, and somebody beat him? And when he beat him, what he sees is his hope dashed. His hope was dashed. His hope was dashed. His hope was dashed because he believed that one person could be healed, not everybody. And I said, God, how often have I had in my own mind a Bethesda, be- Bethesda-type religious experience where I think what happened to me only can happen to me? A Bethesda experience. Have you had a Bethesda experience before where you told people that unless you do what I do, you can't be saved? Have you said the only thing that you can be saved is by the supernatural thing that you did? You make your experience all-encompassing of everybody's? God, God says, no, I, that's not the way I work. Let me get on, because I want to get this down and we'll get this out of here. We'll get out of here. But then, look at, look at this. We're going to read a little more of this, and, and we're still in John chapter 5. Look at verse 3. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was, there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and listen, this catch this thing here. When Jesus saw him lying there, learned that he had been, in this condition for a long time. Hold on. Before we go farther, when Jesus saw him there, what did say Jesus did? He learned. Wait a minute. This is the creator. What do he have to learn? If Jesus is not going to rush in there and heal a guy before learning, why do we? I was thinking about this. I said, boy, isn't this all the revelation that we need when we talk about God? God knows what was going on. That's why he's there. At the same time, he does an amazing thing. He stops to learn from the people who knew him best what he's been through before he does his act. Now, let's see what this learning do for Jesus. Let's see what it does for him. It says that when Jesus saw him lying there and, serve, and, and learn that he had been there in condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? 38 years answer that, don't it? 38 years answer that. But then look at, look at, look at, look at the guy's reply. Sir? Then inv- the, the invalid uh, reply. And no, they say invalid, as if he ain't got value. I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Look what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Did y'all notice that? Did y'all notice what happened in that discourse? Did the guy ever answer Jesus? The guy never answered Jesus. Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? The guy never answered. He gave him an excuse of where he came from. I ain't got nobody to put me in the water. He was telling Jesus, yes, I want to be healed, but I want to be healed through Bethesda. I want to be healed, but I want to be healed through Bethesda. Because Bethesda have the superhuman power, not people. And look how Jesus handled this. Jesus said, get up and take up your bed. Get up, take up your bed. Get up and take up your bed. Why am I saying that? Because Jesus learned of the man. And he knew the man was so steeped in his stuff. And he wanted to save him in spite of himself. And he told him to get up. And spite of where he came from, today what am I saying? Jesus is telling us all the same thing. I know your condition. I don't talk to all the people you talk to. Get up and notice. He didn't just say get up. He said get up and take your mat because your mat been with you a long time. So take all your belongings and get up. Take all your stuff and get up. Don't just get up by yourself. Take your stuff with you. You know, oftentimes when God do a miracle for us, we so, t- you, know, sometimes, you know, sometimes when uh, God do a great miracle for us, we get to tipping around because we think it's just going to fall down because he only can hold it for five minutes. But God said, take your time, get up and get your mat. Clean up after yourself. Clean up after yourself. And I thought that was fascinating because Jesus said, I'm not in a rush. I'm not in a rush. Man is on a time schedule, but days is a thousand years to me. I'm not in a rush. I realize if I rush putting it in, you're gonna rush getting it out. If I take my time putting it in, you're gonna take your time putting it out. You know, it's interesting. They used to talk about Ford. They said Ford used to uh, inspect quality in, and Toyota build quality in. One of them built it, one of them inspected. Are you an inspector or are you a builder? Your inspector or your builder. Jesus is saying to this guy, get up and walk. And then, and then if we tear it down, I want to get a couple more points and we're going to shut this thing down. Look, look what he says here. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I'm not going to go through all that stuff. We're going to go right to the point. We're going to kill this thing. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And, the, and so the Jewish teacher said to the man who had, who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat." I told you all about that commentator, didn't I? The play-by-play, he can tell you how it happens, he can tell you what happened, but he can't tell you the grace experienced. He can't tell you about the grace, but he can tell you all the facts of how it happened. Watch people that can tell you all the facts, but they can't see the hand of God moving. Watch those type of people. Watch the people that's real sure on what took place, but not certain that God's mercy is present. This guy, this guy is sure about one thing. And that, I'm sorry, the Jews, these these leaders were sure about one thing, that the honor of what made them what they were was being offended. Jesus was certain of one thing. The man that needed help was walking. What is your testimony when you talk to people? Do you talk to them about what they did wrong or do you talk about them what they can do? That's a check. It's a check. It's a check. It's a check. But this is, this is, this is, I missed one of my verses here. They bless my heart. I need it too, boy. Man, you kidding me? I need it. You got it. You got it. You got it. Here, go right here. Go my Bible here. Look at look at this verse here. Look at verse uh, 10. No. Verse 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 13. For, no, no, let's read that through. I got to read it through. I was trying to jump through, but we'll just get through this. It says, uh, and the Jewish leaders, this is verse 10, the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man was made well, the man, the, the, the man who was made well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Notice, the man who made me well said to me, he didn't even know his name. He didn't know his name. Be careful that you think you have to know every time God healed you, you have to know when He do it. Just know sometimes you experience it in your life and you don't even see how he did it. You just know he did it. This man said, I don't know. I don't even know his name. I don't know his name. And you notice most people, blind, by and murder say, how did you get see? I don't know. It's the experience about those who carry heavy burdens. They don't know how God did it. They just know he did it. Isn't that what he told Nicodemus when he came by night? He said, you must be born again. He said, how can I do it? He said, man, where the wind blow, where it listed. But listen, bottom line, I'm doing work. Don't worry about that. And then they press on to say this. So they asked him, who followed, told you to pick up your mat and walk. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. And look at the second part. For Jesus has slipped away unto the crowd that was there. Jesus slipped away. Notice that term he slipped away. Have you ever had to slip out somewhere? Yeah. That nobody see you, you just slip out, you know, you just slip out. You know, if I go right quick, you know, you know, you're about to do something, especially, you know, we, we're real good at uh, making sure our standards are held up, and which is a good thing. I'm not knocking that. But you're doing something you're supposed to do and you just try to slip. You try to hide. You, if they don't see me, you know, you know, you slip, you sort of slip, so slip that they can't see it. It said Jesus slipped out. Have you ever known Jesus to slip out? Why would Jesus slip out on this man after he healed him? Let's keep that in your mind as you think about that. We're going to answer that question. Why would he slip out after he healed him? That's the question we're asking. we ask him. We're trying to answer that question. Later, later, Jesus found him. Where was he at? He found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away. Stop. Jesus slipped away. But just like he slipped away, he slipped back in. And he found the man worshiping, praying. The man waited 38 young years by a pool, and after he get healed, you think he ain't going to go pray? I'm trying to understand when it comes to us. After God healed me, why is it that I don't want to pray? I think personally, that comes from that Bethesda experience. I think it came from some supernatural thing I did on my own. So I don't need to give it to God. But once I understand, like this man, it was God who did it, I'm going to be in the temple praying. And, and interesting, he knew where to pray even when he didn't know who healed him. Yeah, right. There's something innate inside of us that God put in us that, that make us go home, almost like a homing pigeon. If you get a pigeon and you take them, one of them pigeons, you know, during World War II, they used to use pigeons to carry messages across the country. They could be anywhere, and they just throw the pigeon and put it inside his foot, and he'll fly home because he knew where he came from. There's something about God when he do something for you. He leaves residue so you wow. can always get home. This man was able to get home because God left something in him. The reason why we can get up because God left something in us. Even when we were sitting, he left something in us. But I want to get this last point and we're going to shut it down right here. Look what it says here. And then it said, the man went away and told the Jewish leader that it was Jesus who had made him whole. Notice, the first time they asked him, he had no answer. No idea. The second time, guess what he said? They don't have to find me. I'm going to find them. They don't have to find me. I'm going to find them. When you get up from where you come from, make sure you find somebody to tell them about what he did for you. When you get up from where you get it, where you came from, make sure you share with somebody the same predicament as you. When you get up, make sure you don't get so professional that you forget the grid arm grind that it take for you to get there. When you get up, because you're going to get up, Make sure you don't go to Bethesda and thank Bethesda for nothing. Thank God for everything. So as we end this thing, the thought that I will leave with you is this. The greatness of what God does for us is that he allows us to call other people. So the doors of the church is open. Anybody that would like to get up today and give their life to God because they realize it's been too long that you've been quiet. It's been too long that you have not returned to God what he has given to you. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. <clears throat> have a sit right there, brother. Have a sit right here, brother. God bless you. I think I think what ended up happening sometimes. No, I don't want your money. You got, oh, your ID. No, you don't need no ID. Your idea is that you're God's son. That's your ID, brother. Right. Have a seat right there, brother. I, I think what happened too often, even me, I tell you, I'm a perfect example of it. He did so much for me. Mm-hmm. See, now it cost. See? See, it costs something. Well, let's let's try this again. When you talk about your real experience, sometimes words can't formulate it your body must experience it. Because in the gridiron, it costs pain and pain and suffering. It costs something. And in this life, what we have learned is people who paid the ultimate price of giving that something, we say they don't fit. But the gospel is the only place that says that I want the people that don't fit. Those are the people who the gospel is made for. If you already got a place, why are you coming to God? Because the truth is, we none of us fit. That's right. That's why Jesus was called the stone that the builder rejected that became the chief cornerstone. So today I'm just calling people that can be honest with themselves and say, because I don't fit, God has made a place for me. That's all we're saying. God has made a place for those who don't fit. They have went beyond the exterior of building a house. I tell you, when, when you finally get built up in what God has given you, people can't even tell if you don't show them. Because you can hide it. That's why, the, that's why I think that when he's talking about the Levi and the priest, they can walk right by that Samaritan. Because you can tell that one time they was broke down on the road. Because they covered it. When God covers, he covers You don't see my shirt because it's covered by my jacket. When God gives you the sonship and he covers your stuff. You, you know, you, you do remember the, uh, the prodigal son when he went away, the first thing his father did what was give him the best what? Robe. And what did the robe cover? Where he came from That's what he Cover where he came from I'm just saying One simple thing And that is that God said get up Because I got you covered And when you come People won't know where you've been Because I put my best robe on you And in fact you know what I do When I put my best robe on you I frustrate those that who haven't been out there I frustrate, them. I frustrate them Because I want you to look so much like me I'm willing to give everything At the beginning I know about everything at the beginning. Because I tell you, when I first came into this thing, I didn't have much of anything. All I had was a hope and prayer that he'll do something for me. But when he gave me everything, he gave it to me all at once. And he just started flooding my borders. I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do with this stuff? And as he do that, he give it to you. I said, man, what in the world is going on? More than I ever had. And then he said, I want the stuff. I want you. Are you going to put the stuff in front of what I've done for you? James, I want you to look past the stuff and give me you. But I said, God, I can buy you whatever you want. I give it back. He said, I don't want that. I want you. Anybody, they just want to go back and say, God, I want to just give myself. That's the service I have. I don't have a lot of stuff, but I do know if you give me you, I have more than enough. I have more than enough. And that's the good thing about salvation. Salvation never asks you to give anything. It asks you to receive something. Receive something. And you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with salvage yards. Sometimes you need a car part, and you go to a salvage yard and say, well, I need a water pump off that car that's been sitting there for seven years. I want the water pump off of you. Pay a fraction of the price, $20 post to $100, and they give you the water pump. That, that part that was not in service, you put in your car and didn't go in the service because it's been salvaged. God is looking to salvage people that have been out of service to put them in a service so they can once again operate under his control, under his power, under his understanding, under his anointing. Because the only thing we have to offer is service to God. That's all we have. So that being said, God, we accept the reality of what you have given us today. And that's the fact that you told us we can get up. And because, because God, you have told us to get up, because you have gotten up, we can say we worship you, we praise you, we lift you high. There is no one on the heaven or the earth that deserves more than you because you have given everything. Because you can watch us down here suffering and struggling in your nice place in glory, you had to give everything. So, God, we return everything to you because we embrace the reality that our hand and your hand is everything. So, God, continue to bless your people as we continue to go through this reality, not to be play by play people, but be grid arm, play callers from people who have experienced your grace. Let us be the center of what we do and continue to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, oh, how about you take them in the back and pray?